Welcome to Leading for a Legacy. I'm your host, Meredith Schweitzer. In this show, we ask, what makes a cultural nonprofit leader whose staff, board, and the community you serve actually want to follow? Join me as I unpack the leadership styles of some of the most influential museum directors and cultural sector nonprofit leaders across the nation, all to try to understand what it means to lead with your legacy in mind. Hey, everyone. Okay, I admit it. I started something and then I practically immediately took a break. With the holidays and then with 2021 starting off with rising deaths due to the pandemic and attack on the U.S. Capitol, I just couldn't find the mental space to be asking what it means to be a leader. But as you'll hear in this week's episode, some of the best leaders understand that it's all a learning process. I'm learning what committing to sharing these perspectives with you all needs to look like, and I'm looking forward to continuing to learn over this first season. So today we're going back to a quick fire with Lori Fogarty. This was recorded when we did the original interview, which if you haven't listened to that episode, head back to the podcast and just check out the last episode for the longer interview. In this part, she really gives some practical advice and resources to address inclusion and diversity and just some thoughts on being a leader in the field. Hopefully, I'm getting back to a weekly schedule, so stay tuned. Next week, I'm talking to Paul Johnson from Creative Fundraising Advisors. If you have suggestions for people we should talk to, email me at leadingforalegacy at gmail.com or join us on social media. We've got an Instagram and Facebook page. And also, if you want to connect with me directly, find me on LinkedIn. Just look up Meredith Schweitzer, and I would love to keep the conversation going. For me, this is more than just a podcast. It's about building a community of people who want to understand what it really means to be a leader and what it means to deal with issues that we're all facing in this totally weird moment of uncertainty. And one thing I'm sure of is that in order for nonprofits to thrive right now, they need to be filled with teams who really understand what it means to work together and what it means to have a vision and what it means to even define what success looks like for I think so far in this first season, we've been able to address some of these themes, but I'm looking forward to several more in nonprofits that deal with performance spaces, in history museums, and quite a few others. So I think there's going to be a lot for people to get into, so I hope you'll stick with us. Okay, have you shared the podcast with a friend? If you listen to this episode and you like it and you think there's something valuable in it, just hit that share button and get it out to someone else who could find value in it. I'm all about getting value in these conversations, and I really don't want to live in a vacuum. So again, shoot me an email, find me on Instagram, find me on LinkedIn, and let's get a conversation going. I hope you enjoy this follow-up conversation with Lori Fogarty. Here we go. Today, we're doing our little quick fire with you. Last week, the conversation was so rich, and I think we really got into some great areas about how you can think about leadership in terms of access and uh, actions you can take with your team. So we've just got a few questions here, and we'll just dive right into them. Great. Let's start with what is an exercise or a task that you've done with your team to explore personal differences or to talk about identity? Yeah, I mean, I would say there are a couple that are really easy and uh, I found very powerful. One is just simply asking for a team to share, how did you get your name? 
Where did your name come from? And it's surprising how much that reveals in terms of people's families, you know, cultural backgrounds, nicknames, uh, whether they've liked their name or haven't liked their name. And it just is a very quick way, even with, you know, a, a fairly large number of people, 10 or 15, to get to some personal stories pretty quickly. So, so I really like that one. Um, another one we've used goes a little deeper. You pair off uh, with two people and you just ask, ask three simple questions to each other. Uh, who are you? Who do you think I am? And who do you pretend to be? Hmm. And it, it literally is, you know, 60, 90 seconds per question. Uh, but it very quickly, whether you know the person well, and you actually do know something about them or who they might pretend to be, or if you're meeting somebody for the first time, what they choose to share, what they choose not to share. Uh, I find those very interesting uh, exercises to get to those issues of, of identity pretty quickly. Well, then we have to ask you, how did you get your name? Well, I am the fifth of five. I have four older brothers, and they're all quite a bit older than me. And uh, I was born in 1962. So Lori, I think, was a fairly popular name then. Not very popular now, but my four older brothers chose that name. And I guess after five kids, you know, with five kids, my parents were ready to relinquish that, you know, that duty. <laughs> you go ahead, name him. We're we're, at, we're over it. Exactly. Exactly. I think they were so surprised to have a girl after four boys that they really hadn't scoured their, you know, their baby book for girls' names. Oh, that's so great. Um I have a friend who's a folklorist and he uses that um in in personal interviews as one of the first questions as a like kind of icebreaker right. and he said this he says the same thing that it really brings out um, areas of your personal history that you um, that are that are particularly unique to each person so that's a great one what's a what is what's an exercise or a task to build team trust mm, that's a really interesting one I um you know, I think that one of the one of the tools that we are using right now in our team is just to, you know, we have worked again with a, with facilitators to help us look at areas, particularly areas uh, that relate to you know dismantling white supremacist behavior that we are individually working on, and we bring that to some of our team meetings. Here's something I'm working on and here's what I'm trying to do differently. And just naming that and, and sharing with people something you're working on, one just brings a level of transparency and vulnerability to the team. And it also, you know, it, it calls forth people helping you. So mm -hmm. for example, one of the things I try to work on is I don't always have to fix everything. I don't always have to be the person to have all the answers. And just naming that, I'll have teammates when I go to a place in the meeting where I say, okay, here's what we're going to do, you know, or here's how we're going to address that. Some of my colleagues will say, you know what, you don't have to figure that out. Let us help you figure that out. Or let's ask somebody else to help us think about how to do that. So I find that really valuable for team trust building. Well, that's such a, that's a great one because it speaks to, you know, I think it's, it, in all these like leadership books and whatever, there's this idea of make sure you're allowing for vulnerability, right? But that's a very specific example of how vulnerability works and is in action and actually leads to support on the other end. In the podcast we, we did, I mentioned this kind of tool of 
in team meetings, what are you letting go of and what are you calling in? And I find that is another one because people will say, you know, I'm letting go of my obsession with perfection. I'm trying to let go of needing to be busy all the time. I'm trying to let go of self-doubt. And again, just naming that of, I get you, you know, your teammates are like, oh, I'm trying to let that go too. So, and then I'm calling forward inspiration or I'm calling in curiosity. So that's another helpful one. Oh, the being busy all the time. That's, that's me. <laughs> yep. So, okay, here's one. How do you celebrate wins, whether that's a successful opening or maybe a staff member receiving an award? Uh, how do you, as a leader, celebrate a win? Yeah, I so important to celebrate uh, and to appreciate achievements and, and to really do that in a lot of ways. I mean, Sometimes I think it is just an individual thanks of reaching out to somebody, you know, in a, a one-on-one email to say, you know, I really appreciate that you did this great job. I think public recognition, you know, in all staff emails, in a full staff meeting to really acknowledge that achievement is important. And I think, you know, we try to have kind of collective rituals too of, in again, normal times, we do an, an annual staff barbecue and we, at each of our annual barbecues, recognize here are the folks who have been here, you know, 10 years, five years. We have people who've been at the museum 20 years. So, so having those kinds of rituals that people know are coming and are an opportunity to celebrate together and all of our achievements, but really give some appreciation uh, to individual staff members as well. I think there's something about when things are a ritual or when, like you're saying, when they know it's coming, it doesn't have that same forced feel because you are, it's just part of the gig. So I I think that's really, that's a great piece of advice. Speaking of pieces of advice, what is a piece of advice that shaped your personal outlook or something that you reference regularly when it comes to day-to-day kind of leadership? You know, it's it's interesting because this is, um, I think back to this all the time. I read this in, in 2010 into 2011 when I was, you know, when we were in the midst of this major reorganization at the museum. And I read the book Game Change, which mm-hmm. um, was about the 2008 presidential election. And just, it stuck with me so much about the kind of team that the Obama campaign formed and how that was honestly very different than the Clinton campaign, which tend to have a lot of big egos, but they were, and a lot of experience, but people working toward their own individual, you know, accomplishments or their own ideas or pursuing what they thought was the right thing. And, and that really the Obama team came together in alignment and in service to a vision, not even just to Obama, but to a vision. And that really stuck with me and and has shaped my shared leadership idea. And I think, you know, maybe it was Patrick Lencioni who also talks about teams as needing to be, you know, more like a basketball team than like a Mm -hmm. golf team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, I think that idea of we're all in service to a vision and and a goal that we're in the going toward and that that kind of individual sort of jockeying is just deadly. Yeah. In our earlier conversation, you talked about the way that peers have been a good resource for you, that mm-hmm. that it seems like particularly museum leaders, nonprofit leaders, that they're finding each other right now in mm-hmm. this moment. For someone who is maybe earlier in their career or is in a leadership position but hasn't been there very long, what do you recommend people to do to try to find those like-minded leaders, you know, to work with or to seek guidance from? I mean, I think it is just, if that is important and you're seeking that is really to kind of think about, you know, what is the common denominator? What is the common ground that you're seeking? And then really just reach out 
and say, I'm thinking about, you know, having a chance for this group to come together and share. And what would you think about this? So I'll give you two examples of different kind of contexts for that. One is a group that formed very quickly, and it's the three other larger organizations here in Oakland. So the Oakland Zoo, the Chabot Space and Science Center, and a wonderful organization called Children's Fairyland. And right at the time we were all looking at closing in March, not me, um, the director of Chabot reached out to the three of us and said, I feel like we should, we're the, you know, kind of four largest destination, visitor destinations in Oakland that maybe we want to be coordinating around what our plans are around closure. And we did that. And we have then met first for the first few months every week and then, you know, recently every other week. But one of us was a brand new director. I've been in the position a long time. We had different issues. And there were some of the things that, you know, we've talked about sharing kind of basic information, you know, reopening plans, et cetera. But it became therapy for the four of us. And I will say it's been a huge lifeline for me. Another example was a colleague who is a white woman and a CEO reached out and said, I'd like to put together kind of a, a small affinity group around with white women CEOs and acknowledging that we are in these leadership positions. But as we, these are all groups that are, are working on equity agendas. What does it mean to be in a, a white woman in this place? And what are the assets that we bring, but also what are the blind spots that we might help each other address? It was, another, again, another colleague who reached out to me and I was like, that is such an interesting idea. And we're now meeting every other week too. So I think if, you know, if you're a program person, if you're an HR person, if you're a facilities person, you'll find that even if you're reaching out to other folks to say, let's just compare notes on how we're dealing with these situations, you'll find that you develop a network that extends well beyond the kind of basic information sharing. Mm, and and that, that, that aspect of uh, shared experience, I think is so crucial. So that's just, just, pick up the phone, write an email, right. go on exactly. LinkedIn, find exactly. your people. <laughs> exactly. And you know, you might hear somebody say, you know, I just don't have the bandwidth for it right now. And that's okay too. Right. You know? Um, so, but I think people are seeking that right now. So I think folks will appreciate that. And making time for that. I mean, what I hear you saying mm -hmm. is meeting once a week with a group and then meeting every other week, that's once a week that you're not, you know, working with your staff on budget or working with your staff right. on whatever. So making right. that time and giving yourself permission to make exactly. that time is exactly. really, I think, kind of a challenge for new new leaders. It is. And I, I would say, you know, maybe one looking at it as part of the self-care um, that is important. And it does really, for me, provide strength and, and reinforcement. And it's also a different way of giving back to your community. I mean, I also see see this as part of the way that, you know, as we think about serving our communities in new, new ways, this is one of them. Yeah. And I always like to ask, um, or I try to ask, what is uh, the best leadership book that you've read or that you recommend? You know, I will say this is a hard one for me because I am such a geek and I love <laughs> reading leadership books and I've read them for so many years, but I would say the one that has had the most influence on me is Leading Change and the work of John Cotter. I use that specifically around uh, when we were doing a major reorganization of the museum in 2010 and 11, and really thinking about those stages of change of, you know, creating the urgent need, building the guiding coalition, uh, you know, those, those very specific steps of change management, I found you know, very applicable and very useful. And I still turn to that as a resource for change management. 
<laughs> well, Lori, thank you so much for a round two with me. And um, and any last thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Uh, you know, I guess I would just say, I mean, I appreciate your your comments when we opened the podcast last time about being a leader in this field. I will say I have never in my entire career been on such a steep learning curve as I am this moment. So it is not a place where, you know, I, I even, I find, you know, the hair on the back of my neck go up a little bit when I'm kind of thought about as sort of, you know, a leader that has some prominence in my field because I feel I'm a student always. And, um, and so just recognizing the leadership journey and the learning curve that we're all on, especially right now.